O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Uh, Father, now we come to your word with the words of your son Jesus echoing in our ears, namely, apart from him, we can do nothing. And so, Father, we pray now as we pause to look to your word that indeed your spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would be not merely those who, uh, who hear the word, but those who do it. Father, there are hard words here, but there are also wonderful words of comfort. And I pray this morning for those who need to be comforted, as well as for those who need the hard words that your word gives. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So having flown to Birmingham and back and spent five nights in a hotel this past week, I had two email surveys in my inbox yesterday morning. How was my stay at the Fairfield Inn and Suites? Would I please take a few minutes to rate my experience on Southwest Airlines? I love how they stated this next one. Was I satisfied or very satisfied with the goods and services I had received? We live in a consumer culture. And consumer satisfaction is job one for the companies who then vie for our business. Our psalm for this morning tells us of a rather uncomfortable truth related to God. 
God is not like the Marriott group of hotels or Southwest Airlines. The God we worship is the God of the Bible, not the God of our imaginings. God is all-powerful, and he exercises his omnipotence in ways that honestly make us quite uncomfortable. We'd like for there to be more dialogue, or at least an opportunity to let God know if we are satisfied or very satisfied with his performance as God. But Psalm 94 reminds us that this is not possible when we deal with the God of the Bible. For Psalm 94 reminds us what is our big idea on page 5 in your bulletin this morning. God alone disciplines and judges. God alone disciplines and judges. Four points we want to make this morning then. The first one is this. We need to wrestle with God's prerogative. Wrestle with God's prerogative. Now, God's prerogative can basically be summed up with three questions. What, when, and whom? What, when, and whom? The what we find out immediately in verse 1. In fact, in case we miss it, the psalmist uses this term twice, that our God is a God of vengeance. Now, we typically don't think of vengeance as being something that would be fitting or appropriate that would necessarily go along with a God who is love and a God who is kind and a God who is gracious. So it might be helpful instead of using the word vengeance uh, to use the word recompense. In other words, the psalmist is crying out for God to give people what they deserve. Father, give them that which they have earned. That's what recompense means. Give them what they have earned. Give them what they deserve. Now, the hard thing about this is, is that generally that's not really how we want to think of God. In fact, if you've read through the book of Revelation, there's a bit of uh, sort of judgment fatigue that starts to set in. There's seven trumpets and seven seals and seven bowls. And you're going, my goodness, how much more judgment? Like who's left for there to actually exercise judgment upon? And this is not how we necessarily want to think of God. And yet, friends... God is a God who is just. God did, does give us what we deserve. No one will ever say of the Lord God Almighty that they were not treated fairly or they were not treated justly. That's what makes the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross so amazing. It wasn't just that on the cross Jesus removed our sin. But God or Jesus satisfies the wrath of God. Jesus takes upon himself what we deserve for our sin 
and our transgression. Our God is a God who is just. Our God is a God who will give recompense to the wicked. Well, that brings us then to the second question, the second area in which we need to wrestle with God's prerogative, namely, when? Twice the psalmist asks the question, God, how long? When are you going to rise up and do this thing? How long are we going to have to wait? How long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? If you're always good with waiting for God to act in his time, please raise your hand. If you enjoy waiting in general, by like sign, please let your presence be known. We don't like waiting. And in particular, we don't like waiting on God. To be one of God's people means that you wrestle with God's timing. You want God to act yesterday. You don't like to think that somehow your wonderful, lovely plan for your life could somehow be held up by the timing of a sovereign God. And yet it's true. It's true. How long, O Lord? When will you act? When will you silence the exaltations of the wicked? Well, that brings us to the third question that we must wrestle with as we think about God's prerogative just to whom is this recompense going to be given? It's going to be given to the proud, the wicked, the arrogant evildoers. Now, here's the problem. This is where uh, God, again, wants to remind us that he is God and we are not. Who those folks are, the proud, the wicked, the arrogant evildoers, that is God's determined. God's determination to make, not our own. Like many of you, I spent some time Friday morning listening to different reactions and different speeches after the Supreme Court decision was brought down. And as I listened to um, some of the, I'll just use the words, uh, the exaltations, arrogant words, and boasting of evildoers, I found myself going, okay, God, surely these are the people you have in mind, isn't it? Well, maybe, maybe, but let's understand that just as vengeance belongs to the Lord and the Lord alone, just as the timing belongs to the Lord and the Lord alone, so also who are the proud, the wicked, and the arrogant evildoers? That is God's determination to make, not our own. At every step along the way, God is reminding us that he alone judges. He alone disciplines. Now, if you're sitting there this morning thinking, well, pastor, that's fine, but this is the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we all know that God has a kid and he mellows out. Except our New Testament reading for this morning reminds us that it's actually the Lord Jesus Christ who is going to come as the arm of God's vengeance. 
Did you hear that word when Abby read it? We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, that when Christ comes again, he will come in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This act of judgment is not something that we see only in the Old Testament, but Jesus comes speaking love and mercy and grace and tolerance. No, in fact, we understand, for the New Testament teaches us that it's Jesus himself who will become the instrument of God's justice. Jesus himself is not only the one who delivers us from our sins, but Jesus himself is the one who will come as the vehicle and the arm of the justice, recompense, and vengeance of God. When I was uh, going to college, this may sound strange to some of you who are recent college graduates, but there was a time in which not every college student had a car. And so uh, where I went to college in the middle of nowhere in central Indiana at Taylor University meant uh, there weren't a whole lot of choices in Upland if you're going to go to church. And so uh, if you had a car, it usually meant that you were taking a crew of folks to church with you on a Sunday morning. And one of our professors, in fact, he was a history professor, uh, pastored a, a church about 20 minutes from the, the Taylor campus, and he pastored it for something like 30-some-odd years. He just recently retired. And so it was a very popular place with students. And so uh, my roommate and I one Sunday pulled up, and uh, we, we, the, a girl he was kind of interested in and her roommate, they get in the car with us, and we go to church. And it, actually, it was Right to Life Sunday. And Psalm 94 in Right to Life Sunday was a rather, uh, was a rather popular choice. And so as we got, uh, the service was over, we got back in the car and we were driving uh, to go make sure that we could get to the dining commons in time to eat fried chicken, because that's what they had every Sunday at Taylor. Uh, one of the girls in the back seat was very quiet. And finally, she just said, you know, that made me really, really uncomfortable. Not the fact that it was right to life Sunday. But this idea that God is a God of vengeance. That God is a God of recompense. That God in his justness gives folks what it is that they deserve. Secondly, we see I pity the fool. Now, if you didn't grow up in the 80s, if you weren't an aficionado of wonderful sitcoms in the 80s, you're probably not a fan of the A-Team, and you probably never got to know the glorious character brought to life by that great thespian, Mr. T, uh, called B.A. Baracus. And B.A. Baracus's standard line was, I pity the fool. And it was usually about the time he was going to hurl someone into the air and always looked at it, it was a really great distance. And so if you were a seventh grade or an eighth grade boy, the thought of hurling people through the air was really, really appealing. So I loved B.A. Baracus. I had an A-Team t-shirt that I wore quite proudly to Atkinson Junior High School. Well, here we see how it is exactly that the Bible defines foolishness. 
in verse 7, he's talking about those who kill the widow and the sojourner, those who murder the fatherless, those who are indeed the evildoers. They go on in verse 7 thinking that they're going to get off scot-free because God doesn't see. And the God of Jacob doesn't perceive what it is that they are doing. And so in verse 8, the psalmist shifts his attention, and now he's going to address the evildoer. And he calls them not evildoers, but he calls them dullards and fools. This idea that God does not see, and God does not hear, and that God will not act is absolutely ridiculous. In fact, they're flipping it. They're trying to get us to believe that God is dull and foolish, not us. And so the psalmist takes a moment and turns his attention to the evildoers, those who think that God doesn't see and God doesn't perceive, and he asks these glorious questions. And by the way, they're an echo of the questions that we hear in the book of Job when God finally shows up and decides it's time to condense the nonsense. Look at verse 9. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? God is reminding the fool that thinking that he does not see, thinking that he does not hear, and thinking that he does not act is the very height and definition of foolishness. He is the sovereign creator of all things. And to think that God will not exercise all the prerogatives that are laid out for us in verses 1 to 7 is the very definition of foolishness. It's the very definition of dullness. Well, then he turns his attention, not from the wicked evildoer, now he turns his attention back to the people of God. And he says something that a great many of us would take all kinds of exception to. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was being disciplined as a child, it didn't feel like a blessing to me. And when my heavenly father disciplines me, it doesn't feel like a blessing either. In fact, when does being disciplined actually feel like a blessing? Well, I think one of the reasons that we struggle with this is not just because it's painful, as we're going to see. But we struggle with it because we think that God's discipline is going to be like our own. Either that which we have received, or if you're a parent, that which you have given to your children. You see, when we discipline our children, it's usually because they have done something that has angered us or frustrated us to the point where we just simply can't take it anymore. And we are fallen creatures. So the discipline that we give is necessarily going to be imperfect. We will at times as parents discipline our children too harshly because we're angry. 
There are other times in which we will not discipline them um, firmly enough. My parents had uh, sort of, this was kind of the house rule. Uh, if one of us did something that was going to, uh, that warranted discipline, then all, all four of us would get it. Didn't matter. You could be entirely innocent. And my sister, Erin, let me just say, I'm so glad that she had twins at age 43 because it's, um, it's poetic justice. I took lots of discipline for my sister. And my siblings took lots of discipline for me. And I took lots of discipline for my little brother. Now, my sister Chris would tell you she never did anything deserving to be disciplined. And it's... But that's the problem with the discipline of a parent, isn't it? It's imperfect. Sometimes it's too much. Sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you're not disciplining for the right reason. But friends, God's discipline is perfect. It's always just right. If God is giving you the divine equivalent of a bare butt beating, it's because you need a bare butt beating. And it's for your good. Keep your finger in Psalm 94, but turn over with me to the book of Hebrews. For in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews has um, this really yeah, something to say that, again, we don't like it, but it's true. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Friends, if God is disciplining you, you are blessed. And the end result of that is the peaceful fruit of righteousness that comes through the training of God's good discipline. The discipline of God is to increase our holiness. It's to help us to be more and more like the Lord Jesus. And so this ridiculous statement that you are blessed if you're being disciplined, well, it's a paradoxical truth. Yes, you are blessed if God is disciplining you. Fourthly and finally, we see again, it's God alone who does these things. It's God alone who does these things. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? Now, let's stop there and just remind ourselves of what's going on in book four in the Psalms. Book four in the Psalms has God's people living in exile. All of the trappings, all of the external accoutrements that would go 
with being God's people, namely the temple, the king, the land, all of those things are gone. And so who is it who will, who will rise up for them against the wicked? Who will stand up for them against the evildoers? Well, as we read forward in our Bibles and we get to a book like Daniel, we see just how true it is that God alone is going to stand up for His people. That God alone will rise up for His people against the wicked. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. God alone is the one who stands up for his people. And the psalmist tells us that if the Lord had not been my help, verse 17, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. It's by the covenant faithfulness, verse 18, the steadfast love of God that we are held up. And I love verse 19. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Now, this is going to be where the preaching gets to meddling. For if I were to ask you this morning, what are the cares of your heart? I'm sure you could rattle them off. But if I were to ask you, tell me about the consolations of God. How many can you rattle off? The Bible's full of them. And yet I fear, as those who have received this wonderful gift of consolation, we don't know them. And our hearts are very prone to listen to the cares of our own heart. And yet we know our task is not to listen to ourselves. Our task is rather to preach to ourselves. And it's the consolations of God that are to be the cheer of our soul. And yet if we don't know them, we're left with only the cares of our heart. By the time we get to verse 23, we see why it is that the psalmist is so certain and so sure that God will bring back on the evildoers their iniquity. He will wipe them out for their wickedness. The Yahweh, our God, will wipe them out. In other words, when the Lord Jesus returns... He's coming again in glory, but also in judgment. It is the second person of the Trinity who will exercise the judgment of God, who will bring back on them their iniquity, who will wipe them out for their wickedness. As we come to the table this morning, we have great reason to give thanks for the table is one of the great consolations of God. At the table, we remember what it is that Christ has done for us. Not only in his death does Jesus cleanse us from our sin, but he also removes the righteous wrath of God 
from us. But we also then at the table look forward to Christ's return. That Jesus will come again in glory and in judgment. And so even though there are seasons in which it feels like God's people are being crushed and the arrogant words and boasts of the evildoers are all that fill our ears, yet we know that there is coming a day in which the Lord Jesus will return in glory and in judgment. And so we have hope. And we wait. And we pray as the psalmist prayed, How long? How long, O Lord? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the certainty of the second coming of your son as surely as he came the first time. So we know that he will come again. And thank you for the finished and completed work of Jesus on the cross. Father, left to ourselves, we are those who would throw about arrogant words. We are the wicked. And yet, not only does the Lord Jesus and his death forgive our sin, but he also removes from us the rightful wrath of a just and holy God. And so, Lord, we bless you this morning. We bless you for the work that the Lord Jesus has done on our behalf. And we pray that on this Lord's day, we would rest in it. For we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.